I want to welcome you this morning. Once again, uh, you may be here, you may be online, and you may not have known you were joining, but you're out in the front yard and you're hearing over our loudspeaker. So welcome any way that you're joining us this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our fathers, we come before you this morning. We are grateful for the kingdom, the kingdom you have established through your blood, the covenant you have made to draw us into the kingdom, and that we, as sinners who repent, can enter the kingdom and we can be with you and dwell with you. Thank you, Father, for sending your son to pay the price of our sin debt that we might know you. Lord, open our eyes this morning as we study the scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In C.S. Lewis's masterpiece, he speaks of Lucy and her brothers and sisters who, fleeing from the war, go to the professor's house. And as they enter the professor's house and stay there, it rains on them one day and they decide that they're going to explore his house. It is a giant house. And as they explore, they go room from room and and they look in and they see what's going on. And in one room, Lucy lingers while her brothers and sisters continue on their exploration. And she finds this giant wardrobe. And and Lucy is is intrigued by the wardrobe. And she walks up to the wardrobe and she pulls on the door and, and is surprised that it opens. And what does she notice? One of her favorite things, it's fur coats. And she loves the fur coats, so she goes in to try to rub the fur on her face. And she notices that as she reaches into the wardrobe, the back is not there. And so she reaches a little further and notices she still doesn't find the back of the wardrobe. And so as she takes another step, she she feels something under her feet. And it, it sounded like something crunching. And lo and behold, Lucy realizes she's in another domain. She's in another kingdom. But she notices that this kingdom is cold. This kingdom is unfriendly. This kingdom is overcome with fear. Fear over its, or fear from its ruler. And its ruler at the time, so it seems, is the white witch. And the white witch has turned the kingdom into a cold place where Christmas never comes. But, but, The thaw was beginning. The thaw of that cold was beginning because Aslan was on the prowl. And the rightful king was on the way to make things right. I won't ruin the end for you, but the king is coming. Is the the proclamation throughout the land of Narnia. The king is coming. We sang of that this morning, Belinda. Come, O come, immortal Savior. Come, 
and make this world your home. I invite you to open up to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. This morning we go back to the book of Daniel. We took a, um, a detour into the book of Exodus as we are proclaiming tonight that there is an escape from Egypt. There is an escape from Egypt. And, and as I see back there by Timmy, back there I see the sign that says darkness. There's darkness. I see up here there's hail. We can look around our campus and there are reminders. I see nasty looking cows in there. They're not really too nasty, Susan. They're pretty cute. But there are cows that are sick and they need help. And we will proclaim that there is a help and his name is what, church? And I hope that y'all will, will be here tonight to proclaim the message at each station and out of our trunks that Jesus saves who, church? Sinners that repent. That's the message we share with our friends. That's the message we share with our community. Jesus saves sinners that repent. Last week I gave you some, some uh, closing thoughts. And I'm going to repeat those here because I, I really believe in review. And here are the closing thoughts I gave you from the story of Exodus, from the, the narrative of Exodus. One, God is powerful. We saw what he did in Egypt. We see what he does today. God is powerful. He is greater than our thoughts. He's greater than, than all we can imagine. He's greater than the powers that be. God is powerful. Secondly, God has a purpose. He isn't up there being powerful with no end in sight. He has a plan. He works all things together for good. And he raised up Pharaoh for such a time as this to proclaim who he is, that he is powerful. Thirdly, God will save those who obey. All those who put the blood on their lentils and doorposts were saved because they obeyed by faith. Faith is the, the agent that leads to obedience, which is the, what is functions as our entrance into the kingdom of God, into salvation. God is powerful. God has purpose. God will save those who obey. And it is the blood that brings redemption. And today we understand in the new covenant, it's not a, a goat or a bull. It is Jesus. Amen. Church, did y'all hear that? It's not a, a goat or a bull. It is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all got to get with me this morning. And finally, what Tristan read earlier, Jesus deserves worship. His blood was shed. He deserves worship. And those who recognize their debt of sin are those who will worship God the loudest. Like Jesus said, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those are Jesus' words. So let me ask you, do you love much? If not, maybe you need to examine yourself. In the light of God's holiness, His distinctness, His apart set-apartness from us, are you giving God glory? Are you worshiping him as he deserves. This morning, back to Daniel. I'm going to reset the story for Daniel. And then we're going to jump into the, the, the theme of the kingdom. Now, if you remember, there was a, a man named Arioch. He was the king. He was the king's leader or the captain of the king's guard. And, and Daniel and, and all of his cohort, all of his, the, the, the wise men of Babylon had been given a task. Tell me my dream, said Nebuchadnezzar, and tell me the interpretation, and I will let you live. You don't tell me my dream. You don't tell me the interpretation of it. You will die. 
an impossible task. Nebuchadnezzar meant business. He knew that wise men knew how to take a dream and make up an interpretation. He knew that only the God who gave him this dream could tell the dream and the interpretation. So he was waiting for someone to step up. And that's where we pick up our story. None of the magicians, none of the wise men can figure out Nebuchadnezzar's dream that's bothering him, nor the interpretation. And they are all on the chopping block, literally. Verse 24 of chapter 2. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and thus said to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show him, the king, the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. And thus said to him, I have found among the exiles, the Jews, a man who will make known to the king its interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was, say it with me, church, Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men. Enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. No, I cannot. And and it continues to remind me every time I read this story how God-centered Daniel's thinking is. I cannot do it, king. Don't look to me for an answer. You can look to God. God is the one who does. He is the one who is. He is the great and powerful one. But don't look to me. And that is exactly his answer. Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven. You know, when that comes to salvation, you see Paul following that. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, what did he do, church? He made us what? Anybody know it? He made us alive. Very similar to what Daniel says here. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be when. Help me out, church. What will be when? In the latter days. So remember, y'all, this is not primarily a dream for Nebuchadnezzar to put into place. Or something that's going to happen near him. It is for when? It's for the latter days. And, And if you miss it. You miss the whole point of this dream and the whole point of its interpretation. This is something for the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Verse 29. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries, God in heaven, made known to you what is to be. What's coming, the future. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than any of the other living. Don't y'all love it? God-centered Daniel. Not because of any wisdom that I have, more than the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known, made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. 
God has a plan. It's already established. God has established this plan. Now he's letting you know beforehand what's going to be. And he will execute his plan. Radically God-centered thinking. God has a plan. He will execute it. We cannot thwart that plan. Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you. And its appearance was what? It was frightening. It was daunting. It was intimidating. It was a great image. The head of this image was of what church? Fine gold. Y'all gonna have to help me out today. The head of the image was of what? Fine gold. Its chest and arms were of what? Its middle and thighs were of what? Its legs and are are its legs are of what? And its feet were partly of iron and partly of what? I mean, it's a mix and match, right? It's, it's like you, you put, jumbled all these materials together and made a statue. Now, I don't know, but many of you know a lot more about me about these kinds of things. You build something. You know that lots of times these materials don't always go together, right? They don't always cling to each other. So this could be problematic. We're going to see some details of that. Verse 34. As you looked, and here comes the important part. You got this image of different layers, different colors, different things going on. It's intimidating. It's daunting. It's grand. Verse 34. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. In other words, a great stone that wasn't fashioned by anybody. It was a stone that was made by, it was in its natural state. And I'll say it like this. It was a stone made by the Lord himself. Catch that. A stone that was not cut out by any human hand and it struck the image. Where did it strike it? On its feet of iron and clay. And it broke them into pieces. So here comes a crushing stone that wasn't made by anybody. It wasn't fashioned. And it comes and it crushes the feet of this intimidating statue. Verse 35. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were what? They were broken in pieces. Remember that phrase, please. They were what? All right. Remember that phrase. They were broken. They were what? Broken in pieces. And they came, became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away. All right. Y'all know what, what chaff is, right? I, I've never seen it, but I've heard of it lots of times in teaching. You got the wheat and you crush it up. And then you, you lift it up with a fork, the winnowing fork. And as the winds blow, it blows away the dusty chaff. And you're left with the good stuff. So all of the trash kind of blows away, but it's so light and powdery that it flows away in the wind. Did I get that right? For some of y'all who know, all right, that's what I've read. 
What he says is this statue was crumbled so hard by this stone that was not cut by human hands that it did what? It blew away in the wind. What was the statue made of again? Gold, silver, iron. You ever seen that stuff blow away in the wind? Must have been some kind of stone. How many stones have you seen crush iron? And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became what? A great mountain. And what did it do, church? What kind of stone is this? That's crazy. Are y'all got the image? Daunting statue, intimidating, terrifying. Stone comes, crushes the feet, crushes the legs, crushes the torso, crushes the head. Everything blows up, blows away. And then the stone grows and grows and grows and grows and becomes a what? A mountain. Now that's, that's crazy. Nobody's going to make that story up. So either Daniel got it really right or he got it really wrong. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now, we will tell the king its interpretation. You ready? Y'all want to know what that means? That's crazy, but there's a meaning. The Lord didn't give it for no reason. Here we go. Verse 37, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom radically God-centered. God gave you your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. To whom God has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. And into whose hands he has given whatever they dwell, wherever they dwell. The children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds in the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now you can imagine Nebi hearing this. Oh yeah, I am the head of gold. It's my kingdom. I am the God, the glory, the might. Yeah, that's me. I am the head of gold. You got that right. And so he tells him, you are the head of gold. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. Anybody know the name of that kingdom? Babylonians, after them came. Persians, Medes, Persians. The third kingdom comes, the, brown, the bronze. So anybody know the, the main kingdom after the Medes and Persians? Can look, study it. Uh, the Greeks come in. And then there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. Because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And iron, like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. And some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And of the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Any ideas of the next major kingdom after the Greeks? probably know this one pretty major kingdom kingdom of rome now this is crazy because 
Remember, Daniel is way before any of these other kingdoms come. In fact, it's so crazy that some people say, well, Daniel could not have written this. This had to have been added later. Uh, You go back to dating and lots of things that scholars have done. Y'all go research it, please. But it's pretty obvious it was written beforehand. It's very clear that it was. But these kingdoms were proclaimed that, yes, the kingdom is coming. These kingdoms are coming. and, And Rome will come. And during the Roman Empire, something's going to happen. This, this great stone is going to come. So, so let's think about what does the stone do again when it comes? The stone not carved by human hand. What does it do to all the other kingdoms? I mean, pulverizes them. You can hear the drums beating now. Like the war drums coming through. Another kingdom's coming. And so this, the, the, the crux of what Daniel is saying is kingdoms are going to rise. Kingdoms are going to fall. A new kingdom's going to come. It will fall. A new kingdom will come. It will fall. And one of the themes of Daniel is that as kingdoms rise and as kingdoms fall, there is a greater king that rules over them all. I'll say that again because that rhymed. As kingdoms rise... And as kingdoms fall, there's a greater king that what, church? Rules o'er them all. And this is what Christians understand. We live in a, the great nation of the United States of America. And it's been around for a while. But there is nothing to say that we will last forever or even till the Lord comes. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but there is a king that rules over them all. We can look back through history and can see the Aztecs. You can see the Mayans. They have this great kingdom with this magnificent temple. You can go visit it today. And then all of a sudden, people are gone. There's a mysterious ending to this kingdom that nobody knew why or how. And then when the Mayans come, they're like, what's this giant temple doing here and all this stuff? We're going to live here. And they begin to live there and then they mysteriously disappear. (sighs) What's going on? Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. There is one king that rules over them all. You can think of the Indus River civilization. Most historians think it's the oldest civilization known to man. And and up to 10% of the entire population lived there uh, during its height. The Anasazi, another group that we know throughout history, great engineering minds. They built their homes in the sides of cliffs. Incredible people. You can see where their their homes were built in the side of cliffs. Great engineering feats. Dennis may be even smarter than you. I don't know. I saw your frog thing out there. It's pretty good. But they built their homes in the sides of cliffs in the ancient day. How did they do that? Anasazi. Kingdoms rise. No Anasazi today. Kingdoms fall. There is a king that rules over them all. Allison and I watched a documentary and alluded to the Vikings of Greenland. Vikings of Greenland were great conquering people. They were strong and tough. Eric the Red. Life Erikson. We know the names. 
A missionary went there in 1721 to bring the, the gospel to these barbaric conquerors. Nobody was there. They disappeared. They were gone. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall, but there is one king that rules over them all. A king showed up in the Roman Empire. And his first message that we have recorded in Scripture said something like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me say that again. There was a king who showed up during the Roman Empire, and his first message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rock has arrived. The rock, cut not by human hands, had arrived In the middle of the empire, right when he was supposed to, he had arrived. And he proclaimed a kingdom that was not of this world. A kingdom that was not ruled by by political power or by might. But a kingdom that was, was what you might even call upside down. Because it was ruled in service and in love. Where he said, the last shall be what, church? First And the first shall be last. It's all about giving yourself up, about surrendering yourself. In fact, Paul put it this way, and people still today don't like this. Submit to one another in love. Ooh, we don't like the S word. But that's what the kingdom calls us to do, submit. It's an upside down kingdom. Jesus proclaimed a pilot. We saw it in our passion play. Jesus said, and Jeff can quote it for us, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of what? This world. Hannah and Abby sang of it this morning. There's a kingdom, not cut by human hands. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Y'all still with me? The Apostle Paul said it like this. Watch this. This is, I'm going to read an extended version. You've heard part of this, but I'm going to give you the context of this. All right, y'all ready? Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've told you there are many enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Just taking whatever they can get, craving, doing whatever they want. And their glory, and they glory in their shame. They're proud of who they are. Their minds set on what, church? Earthly things. Verse 20. But 
But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we, what do we do? We do what? This is important. Our citizenship is in heaven. And what do we do? We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies into a, uh, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let, let me make sure you didn't miss that. Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. Where is heaven? Heaven is with God. Wherever God is, that is heaven. And what do we do, church? What do we do? We await for Jesus to return. Do you get the weight of that? Some of us are so ready to leave this place and leave it to go to hell as fast as it can and make no difference in this world. We we don't read What the scripture tells us is that we are awaiting Jesus to do what? To return. And I'm afraid too many times Christians have gotten to the place where we just say, well, we don't have it's all getting bad and we can't do anything. I can't wait till till Jesus comes and does what? Takes me away. Y'all, Jesus is coming back. And he's coming to rule and to reign. We we sing the Christmas hymn, don't we? Where, Where the Lord is coming back. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth do what? Receive her king. He's coming. Read the we're gonna read the hymn. It's about Jesus' return. The drums will be pounding. Jesus returned. We await our Savior to come home and bring his kingdom to rule and reign here. Come, Jesus. Maranatha, come. Therefore, my brothers, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Be strong. Stand firm. Act like men. Be strong, he says in Corinthians. Don't let the world get its way over. Don't let the kingdoms of this world overcome you, church. Stand strong. Be the church. Proclaim the message. And don't care if they reject it. Proclaim it again. Stand firm. Don't care if they penalize you for being a Christian. Stand firm. Jesus is coming. He's going to make all things right. There is a kingdom that's not of this world. And we are the soldiers in this world. Let let me give you a quote. From from an author I love. Her name is Nancy Piercy. Anybody read a book by Nancy Piercy? Good, good, good. Some of you have read some of it. She had a book called Finding Truth. I've got several copies. If anybody wants one, fantastic. she got a book called Total Truth. She also has a book called, what, Allison? Love Thy Body. 
I'm going to read you a quote from Love Thy Body. Y'all dialed in? Her words are much better than mine, so y'all pay attention to this one. When Paul says in his letter to the Philippians that we are citizens of heaven, most Christians interpret that to mean we should look forward to leaving earth and going to heaven, which is our true home. But that is not what the passage meant to first century readers. The city of Philippi in Greece was a Roman colony where many had the privilege of Roman citizenship. The citizens of a colony were not supposed to aspire to go back to Rome. Their job was to secure a conquering country by permeating the local culture with Roman culture. Get it? By telling Christians they are citizens of heaven then, Paul was telling them to permeate the world with a heavenly culture. That's why C.S. Lewis calls Christianity a fighting religion. He means that disciples of Jesus are not meant to passively allow evil to flourish on the earth. While looking forward to escaping someday to a higher realm. Instead, they are called to actively fight evil here and now. It makes the whole Bible make sense. We are to proclaim justice. We are to act out God's truth and righteousness. Not escape from it and let unrighteousness trample over everything. The doctrine of the resurrection means that all of the physical world matters. It matters to God and it should matter to God's people. How we see the future matters. It matters in the now. Do you view yourself as just hitting the escape hatch button and ejecting out of the the plane that's crashing? And that's how many Christians see themselves in our culture. But there is a kingdom Remember that rock, what happened to the rock, y'all? What happened? It grew into what, Stephen? A mountain. It is not our job to sit around and watch the rock and say, all right, rock, we're going to roll away whenever you do. It is our job to be part of the kingdom. And that rock grew into a mountain. What did that mustard seed grow into? Do y'all remember? A giant tree that all the birds could come and nest and roost in. What did that little bitty thing of yeast grow into? It leavened the whole lump. It is our job. Now, so let me stop there and give us some application if I can. Stop there. Church, I believe that God has First Baptist Church of Plaquemine here for a reason. Okay? I read an article this week of how many churches are closing down. Did you know that there are more churches shutting down in our country than there are starting? And that the number of Southern Baptist and, and Bible teaching and preaching churches 
shutting down are at rates that they've never happened before in our country. Our church is not shutting down. I need to say that again. As our church is not shutting down. Because we believe that we have a purpose and that we have reason to be here. And church, tonight is one of the primary portions of our purpose as a church. Tonight. What are we doing tonight? We're proclaiming the message that the church exists to proclaim. That Jesus Christ saves sinners that repent. And, and I love Sunday morning church. Y'all know it. I love being here. I love being here with you. You are my family. But there's more than Sunday morning church that we exist for. We exist to equip each other in Bible study, in, in learning, that we might engage the world that needs to see the message because God is going to use somebody to grow the mountain. And y'all, I don't want him to use everybody else. And I don't think you want him to use everybody else. I think you want him to use us. And we are able and we are equipped and God is drawing us together for a purpose. So church, be equipped. That's, that's the other 50 weeks of the year. We equip ourselves for events like tonight and our passion play. We equip ourselves so that we can do funerals. And share the gospel with families who who are hurting. We equip ourselves so that we can go out and do things off campus and on campus. The mountain's going to grow. Are we going to be part of it? The yeast is going to grow. Will we be part of it? And, And that's the question that tonight, that's our part. I refuse to sit around and watch the world defy Jesus Christ without saying something. I refuse. I'm not going to do it. And I know many of you share that sentiment. We will proclaim Jesus Christ to the best of our ability. That Jesus Christ saves sinners who repent. And that is the kingdom that, that Christ has called us to proclaim. He came, he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You want to know how to live in the kingdom? You live it upside down. You conquer through submission. You conquer through truth, not coercion. You preach the truth, not lies that harm people. You stand up for what is right, not for who's powerful. And you look around and this is what you see. We are called out of that. So let me close with verse 44. It says this. And in those days or in the days of those kings. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of the kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand. What church? Forever. If we go to battle for our king and we die in battle or we give all of our life unto it, 
then praise be to God. Let's go. So I invite you tonight to be here, proclaiming the kingdom with your smile, with your hot dog in hand, with your frog, with your cotton candy in your hair. I invite you tonight to be here to proclaim that we serve a greater kingdom than Joe Biden's America, than Donald Trump's America, than whoever's America. We serve Jesus Christ the Lord. And we proclaim a message that is eternal. So church, let's join together for the sake of the kingdom. And as you pray, our Father who art in heaven, praise be your name. What's the next line, church? Your kingdom come. Let's be a part of making that happen. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that your name be praised, that your kingdom come, that your will be done here as it is in heaven. Come, Lord. Conquer, Lord. Accomplish through us. May we proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified as Lord. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe you've never come to the place where you have recognized that Jesus Christ is the king. He came as a king. He hung on a cross. He died. He was buried and he rose from the dead to prove who he was. He calls all sinners who need forgiveness to repent. Everybody's a sinner. But only some recognize that they need forgiveness. Do you recognize that today? Do you recognize that you need to be forgiven? God only saves sinners who repent of their sin. For those who don't repent, their place for all eternity is a place called hell. It is a place of, of judgment, a place of wrath. And those who do not know Jesus Christ will spend eternity there, says the Bible. But God will redeem you. And rescue from that. If you will repent of your sin and come to him. No, that is the message. How do you do that? What do you need to do? Pray to God. God, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I turn to you. Grant me into your kingdom. I want to be a part of your kingdom. The act of your heart, that act of faith, brings you to the kingdom. Will you pray to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Will you walk in following Jesus Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Will you do that today? Let's stand together and sing. Speak to my heart, O Lord.